It's fun to be here. It's joy to be here, especially on Advent Sunday, first of the, of the, of the four Sundays, and this time five, because Christmas is on a Sunday. Uh, Noel means Christmas. A lot of European languages use it that way. And the first candle, as you know, is, is the candle of hope. Some call it the candle of prophecy. I encourage you to do this at home. I think we have guides here. Uh, I think it's a great reminder. And then finally on Christmas Day, which is a Sunday this year, you light the Christ candle. And I'm speaking today about why this was all necessary. Yes, I am a candidate for pastor. They wanted somebody a little uh, with more experience and a little older, but I said, talked him into getting a younger guy. So this is my candidating sermon. If you believe that, you've got problems, but it's a time, it's a hard time to use an old word to fetch a pastor. So I help churches do that a little bit in my coaching and boy, uh, I wish seminaries were full of people uh, graduating and wanting to do that or other other churches, but God will lead you and guide you. You have wonderful leaders here and a group of young families and children and the singles and every age. It's wonderful. Keep going, please. Now join me in your Bibles in Ecclesiastes. Not everybody knows where Ecclesiastes is. It's a funny book right after the, the Proverbs, probably most of it written by Solomon, and it's, a, it's, it's a, a chapter or a book in the Bible that uses the word that many of us use only in other words or synonyms, vanity of vanities. And I want to talk about the reason that this is needed. The reason we have hope in the prayer that we prayed a while ago together as Dan led us, uh, Jesus brings hope, but in Ecclesiastes is life without hope. And just to remind us at the beginning, the conclusion, of the, that's the way he ends the book of Ecclesiastes. You guys, all through the book, he goes through junior high and all the places some of you work and he says it's vanity, it's emptiness. And he's talking about life under the roof, under the sun. Pretend this is the universe right here and this is the sun, the ceiling. Life under the sun is empty. Oh, that's a good way to start a sermon, Newt. That's encouraging. Well, it's real, and life is not fair at junior high or in, in school. It, it just isn't. And Solomon, well, let's look at it. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the, you know, life just goes on. Duh! What's the meaning of life? It's vanity. My Hebrew prof told us to translate it soap bubbles of soap bubbles. All is soap bubbles. And I kid you not, this is why Jesus came. Advent means coming. Noel means Christmas. 
Why did he come? Because it was empty under the sun. Because man and woman had fallen into a place where almost everything they did was selfish. And all through the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes, it doesn't make sense. He actually says, and I'm kidding you not, that people are like roadkill. That they die and they might as well be lying alongside of the road and life goes on. He even says marriage can be, feel like vanity at times. All of life, and he goes through it. Doesn't, does God know what's going on in Ukraine? Hello? Or what about where you work or go to school and the kids that cheat God and cheat on morals sometimes are the most popular? Vanity, the, it's, it's kind of like the whole book of Ecclesiastes, even, even things that we hold dear sometimes. Life is very unfair. People get away with all kinds of meanness and suicide and and and. That's the result in Ecclesiastes. It's like, well, you might as well not live with any hope or take your life. Now, I don't want to stop there. At the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. And what he says with his limited knowledge was, fear God, keep his commands. It's the whole duty of man to obey God and to somehow live above the Son, connected to the Creator. Now join me in Revelation. Let's tie these two together, huh? Yeah, let's tie these two together because here's the conclusion of the whole matter. That's what made me think of when I was reading the end of Ecclesiastes one day. What is the conclusion of the whole matter? Well, in Revelation 18, the last book in the Bible, easiest one to find, tied with Genesis, he goes through chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. This is judgment. This is the conclusion of the whole matter of life. Whoa. And the earth was made bright and with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice. Here he comes. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Huh? Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every beast, every detestable beast. Uh, All nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality. Oh, my. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Babylon is about to be judged. Now, if you know Babylon in the Old Testament, think ABC. Assyrians, Babylonians, Chaldeans, they were sort of all the same, different mixes of cities and city nations. But they were always killing Israelites or fighting them. Daniel, Kids, Daniel in the lion's den. That's from Babylon. Babylon symbolized everybody against God. Babylon was clearly uh, interpreted when I was a little, uh, a little kid and then in junior high, uh, my pastor said Babylon was the Roman church. 
Others taught, I remember a visiting evangelist who said, no, Babylon is a picture in the Bible at the end of time when this judgment happens. Babylon is a picture of Hollywood. And the spirit of this age as shown in Hollywood and New York. And maybe a little bit in Grand Rapids. It, but, but, but Babylon is, is so much a fight against God and a selfish life. The German phrase Zigheist calls it, it's the spirit of this age. It's just a wrong kind of way to live. Some think it's actually, so that you know, the revived Babylonian Empire, which is always fighting about God. But it's sin and selfishness. It's abortion. It's drunkenness. It's meanness. It's the spirit of of many of the songs that are sung on the radio, that it's just sexual. That's life. It's, It's people... Babylon is called, forgive my language, the great whore, the great prostitute in this very paragraph that I've read. And someday, let's hear the conclusion of the matter, someday Babylon will be judged. And that's why Jesus came, to start the ball rolling. And to live in this life under the sun, but connected above the Son, with his Father, and to show us how to live. You believe this? Is that what you understand about Christmas? That God actually kind of gives up like he did before the flood and, and says, I will send my own self, or the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Call him Jesus when he's a baby, but the eternal Son is made flesh. So Babylon is about to be judged. I remind you that this conclusion is to change our lives right now. You guys, it's how you live in grade school and junior high and at work and in marriage and at home. Babylon is about to be judged. Genesis talks about it, the Tower of Babylon. Well, it's Babel, but that's the first city called Babylon. It's it's that way of thinking. I'll climb to God. How in the world do a thousand people or however many were there think they're going to build a tower to get to God? Hello? People live foolishly. That's where it started. It was certainly pictured in the whole nation of Babylon, Babylon. Think Daniel in the lion's den. Think the whole thing of, of always fighting God. The spirit of, this, the spirit of this age. Yeah, that's Satan. That's Adam and Eve after the fall. That's all of us without help. I think the best thing we can say as I go on to read in a moment about Babylon's judgment and the conclusion of the whole matter of life is that Babylon pictures me. When I live under the sun. And you, when we live selfishly, just united to our egos. And at the end of time, Jesus came to start ending time. 
and lived a life, 30-some years, as a perfect child, son of God, son of man, and to start this ball rolling. But it's a ball that includes judgment. So the first part of, I'm here in Revelation now, and he starts talking about the verdict from the judge. Look at verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, 18.4 of Revelation, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part of her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven. Whoa. And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. Whoa. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Watch verse 7. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give a like measure of torment and mourning. Since her heart, in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I'm in charge. Yeah, that's Hollywood. That's me without Christ. That's you. That's the spirit of this age. And so we have all these things that hit the newspaper and we think, where's God? Well, under the sun, people living are really selfish. First four-letter word you ever said, mine. As a little child, I learned it from an older brother. I would never have been selfish. <laughs> we are all gone astray. And clearly... To end this and to change it, Jesus comes to show us how and to make up by his death and resurrection what we could never do for ourselves. I just started to read about this judgment, and it's called the great prostitute, and, and it's violent, and it's death, and it's eternity. But the greatest judgment that ever happened it's right in front of your room, the cross. All the sins of Adam and Eve and David and Bathsheba and me and you were put on Jesus Christ so that he cried out on the cross, my God, forsaken. This was no, the heavens tear apart, the, the rocks roll, it turns dark from noon to three. My sins are being paid for. Don't you ever say, I'm being paid for my sins. Nonsense. They were paid for by Jesus. And when you put your faith in him, are you aware of this? That counts for you. You will never be judged for your sins if you're in Christ. More than that, when you put your faith in Christ and believe in him, his righteousness, this is Romans, his righteousness covers you. You stand in front of God with the gift of righteousness. Romans 4, your faith is counted as righteousness. But now, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God apart from law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are declared righteous freely by his grace. The greatest judgment that ever happened is gone. 
It's when God put all our sins on his very son. That's why we have Christmas. Now, this judgment is for anybody else who decided to skip that one. This is the judgment of the spirit of this age and all the world pictured by Babylon. This judgment comes from God. And I'll just refer to it for a moment. It says in verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Babylon is burning. These are the participants. They're the kings of the earth. Verse 15, The merchants of of uh, of their wares who, who gained wealth from her will stand off in fear of her torment. Verse 17, toward the end, and 18, and all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those whose trade is on the sea stood, and you could add, and all the athletes that played yesterday, if they're on their own, living under the sun. Where are you? This is a judgment to remind us we need a Savior. I believe, by the way, when God judges the world, it's like, for me, it's a helpful picture, that earth itself is like a giant ship, and God will bring it into port at just the time he has decided. I don't get that. I thought it was going to be when I was a child, because the pastor said so. I thought it would be tomorrow. But it will be brought into judgment at just the right time, and God will go through, Christ the Lord will go through that ship and Everyone in every room in the ship, every nation, every every point in time will be looked at. And those in Christ who live above the sun, connected to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, will be fine. Is that you? The judgment here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Look at verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great milestone and threw it in the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And then it goes on and says, All the rock singers and all the hymn singers and all the harpists and all the musicians. And then it goes through, All the people of all the world will be judged because they refused God's judgment. Christmas is about joy and peace and love. I hope you can be with some of your family. But Christmas is also about the Savior has come to live a perfect life and die as our Savior so that we don't have to face this judgment and rise again from the the dead so we can be sure of our hope if we're in combination with Christ. Is that you? There's a verse in First uh, John. I, don't love the world. Don't love the, the spirit of the age. Don't love the junk that's around that is so attractive. Or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, is not of the Father, 
But the last verse here says, and the world passes away. And that's right here. Do you believe this? I like to believe this for one main reason, not because I want my friends or any of you who won't believe to be judged, but because there's no meaning to life under the sun. Come on, where's God? People will say it to you this week at junior high if you talk about the headlines. Where's God in all this? And here he is, culminating, wrapping it up. And guess how? Chapter 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and avenged on her the blood of his servants the martyrs. People are always saying, if you talk about Christ at all at work or at school or at home, people who don't believe are always saying, well, where's God? How's come Ukraine? How's come all this junk about male and female? How's come he lets abortions happen now to a number we can hardly believe? I don't know, but I know this. At the right time, he will win. The candles of hope and Bethlehem and beautiful pictures from all the Bible and the final one, the candle of Christ, the anointed one, the victor, king of kings, Lord of Lords. And that's what chapter 19 is. We'll look at it. Verse 24. And the 24 elders fell down. The picture of the church and Israel, I think, fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Finally. Hallelujah. Praise our God. All his servants. Verse 6. I heard about this when I was a child like uh, like seven or six, seven or eight in church. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. I always heard about, well, you know, some of you know, the parable of the foolish wedding party because they they just didn't care to do what's right to wait for the bridegroom and here he comes and oh it's too late and and the bible would always talk i grew up on the bible always talk about the marriage supper of the lamb huh and here it is it's the final coming together of the groom, that's Christ, the Lord, and the church, that's believers and Old Testament believers, coming to live together forever and ever. It's called a wedding. Right now we're just engaged because he's not here. We still live under the sun, but we can be connected above when we trust Christ. Do you? 
If your hope is in Christ, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to ransom captive Israel and us, yeah. He comes as a little baby to live a perfect life, to love losers like me, to to give his life as a ransom for sin on the cross, to rise again, a little bit of a picture of victory, a huge picture for us, but someday to come back. Do you believe this? Do you think it's just a little nice stuff we do at church so they could write songs about it? This is big. This is much bigger than 100,000 people in Columbus crying because Michigan beat Ohio State. Or even more of people wishing Notre Dame would have beaten Southern Cal last night because of Newt Rockney, my namesake. None of you care about that. This is the end of time. Look at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Whoa! His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Oh. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14, And the armies of the heaven arrayed in white linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. The picture is victory. Don't think Lone Ranger. Don't think just white horses. Think Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings (laughs) and Lord of Lords. Any questions? Don't, Don't get distracted by the white horse. It's just a picture that kids can understand and adults like me can understand. He's victor. He's here to make judgment of those who didn't accept his judgment for us and to show he is holy and true. The Bible has said this so many times, and there's little prophecies, not little, but huge in 1 Corinthians 15, when this perishable will put on imperishable. I bet some of you in celebrating Christmas also will cry because you lost someone this year. Yes, we all die. But someday this perishable body, it will perish, will put on imperishable. That's what this is. There's another place that says, right, death is swallowed up in victory. That's this. He said once, this is amazing to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's finished. He said to me, this is to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. No wonder it says in Psalm 2, not just because of Jesus, but because he's Lord forever. As the nations wax eloquent with their words and war and fight, 
and say they're in charge, God laughs. It doesn't mean sarcasm. It doesn't mean a joke. It just means he knows how it's going to end. And he will be Lord. Do you believe that? The whole Bible is about Jesus. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman who will someday cry. The seed of Eve, yeah, the baby of Eve. Who will have a baby, who will have a baby from Eve to another woman. And finally, there's a woman named Mary. The seed of the woman Mary will crush Satan, the snake. Huh? In Exodus, they always said, put your hand on the head of the lamb, son. Put your hand on the head of the lamb. Who's the lamb? It's a picture of Jesus. In Leviticus, there's all these sacrifices, and then Jesus died once for all. In Numbers, there's this uh, cross, sort of, a pole that has a snake on it. When, there's, when they have this ravishing disease, they look at the snake in faith, they look at this pole in faith, and they're healed. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he's the summary of the law. He said, if you trust me, the law's kept for you through me. All through the Old Testament are these pictures of Jesus. When Jesus himself, after the resurrection, walked with the couple on the road to Emmaus, maybe two men, but maybe a couple, it says, and they didn't recognize him, he was after his resurrection, he explained to them, I quote, how all the Old Testament was about him. Huh? One time in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, you know that rock that kind of went with them? I think it went with them for 40 years. You may differ. And it gushed water every day. They filled their canteens. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, that rock was Jesus. When Jesus stood at the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 8, and they lit the big torch that pictured it was on the Feast of Tabernacles, think Thanksgiving. They lit this torch, and this peasant man, as some would have called him, with 100,000 people within hearing distance around the Temple of Jerusalem said, I am the light of the world. That's Jesus Christ. God sent him to this earth so that he could say, I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And what we read, according to Solomon in the Old Testament, the conclusion of the whole matter, what we read here, according to the writer of Revelation, is the end. No, it's not. It's the very beginning of why we're created, to have fellowship with God forever and ever. That's the story of Christmas. If we go back to Solomon as we did just for a moment today, life under the sun, yes, unreasonable, unfair. People get away with murder. But there will come a day when from above the sun he will return. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter this Christmas. Fear God. Keep his commands. And I believe his number one command would be, 
follow Jesus, believe on him, and obey him. And life with the candle of hope has meaning.